Good morning. My name is Adam. I'm one of the pastors here at the church. I want to thank you so much for being here. This morning we start a brand new series. Uh, it's a series on marriage. Um, and I need a little marriage help in my home last night uh, because I am a diehard Penn State fan. And my wife grew up in Michigan. And so some of you who know, Penn State played Michigan yesterday and it was a killer game. And uh, back and forth there at the end, four overtimes, I scared my kids to death. I haven't a lot to cheer about in football lately. And so when they scored that one point, I came out of the chair and I was screaming. And my, little, my son just looked up and kind of looked at me like, what is daddy doing? And mommy looks over him and says, he, he gets this way. Just this. So then they got into it. It's kind of fun. By the, end of, by, the, by the time of that fourth overtime, they're high five and they're screaming, they're cheering. So um, anyway, I had some marriage stuff in my home last night. And so I figure, hey, what a great way to start this series. Uh, in all seriousness, marriage is one, as we talk about this series and we get it kicked off, uh, marriage is one as we think about it. If you're here this morning and you are maybe newly married or maybe you've only been out of the year, or maybe you aren't married yet, or uh, maybe you are married, but you, we still have these thoughts of marriage. We hear the word marriage. A lot of us think of the Romeo and Juliets, the Cinderella's, the romantic fireworks, the fun, the excitement, the, the man, this is going to be incredible. Let's grow old together, the passion. And as much as we want that a part of our marriage, and I think a healthy marriage will have a certain element of that, uh, it really doesn't define marriage. Matter of fact, um, Dennis Rainey, who is kind of, if you know Dennis Rainey, he's been around a long time, kind of a marriage and family expert, family therapist uh, guy. And he talks about that marriage isn't so much played out on a romantic balcony as much as it is on a spiritual battlefield. It is glorious. It's romantic. It's exciting. But it's also very hard. So we're going to stop. And I think many of you, if you're in a relationship, you're in marriage between a man and a woman, you're probably like, yeah, it is hard. And so we're going to stop and just talk about it. And the reason we're going to talk about it is there is no real human relationship or human decision with more power to shape your life and my life for good or bad than marriage. Remember when I used to work with teenagers as a youth pastor, or when I would, uh, when I do pre-marriage counseling with people that say, hey, I'd like to get married. One of the things I always like to talk to them about and just warn them and just say, listen, aside from your, your decision to what to do with God, whether I accept Jesus or deny Jesus, put that decision aside. The most important decision you will ever make in your life with the impact to change your life more than anything else is who you marry. The reality is though, most of us never really tap into that power. And there's this natural drift in marriage to move towards isolation, where soon you find a lot of couples who are living under the same roof, getting in the same bed, but are not really what I would call close friends. And so we're going to talk about that this series. It's kind of kicked around. I want to give, before we jump into specifically what we're going to do this morning, I want to give one just, how about the singles in the room? just want to talk to the singles a minute. Some of you say, oh boy, marriage for six weeks. I don't ever want to talk about this. Well, here's, I want to talk to those of you who are single. This series, in my opinion, is crucial for the singles, probably more so in some ways than it is for married. First of all, if you're single here and you hope to be married one day, I think it's absolutely, you aren't going to hit the target if you don't know what target you're shooting at. So I think it's important to just pay attention. What does God want marriage to look like? What should marriage look like? Because it will impact who you date, how you interact with that person, and and to say, what is it that I'm aiming for? So that's first group. Now, if you're here this morning, you say, well, I'm single and I have no intention of getting married. Maybe you're, you say, I've been married and I'm done with that. Or maybe you're saying, I just really don't want to be married. I'm happy being single my whole life and I'm just going to serve Jesus and we'll be good with that. Uh, what are, how about us? Well, here's what I would say to those of you in that position. Every one of us in this room 
is the product of a marriage. Some of you say, well, I'm not. My dad left when I was one. Or my, you're still the product of a marriage. All of us. And as much as I say marriage impacts me for good or bad, the marriage that I grew up in has profoundly shaped you for good or bad. And I think it's helpful for those of us that are single to recognize and step back and say, what kind of marriage did I grow up in? Did it line up with the way God designed marriage to be? Because how that process unfolded deeply shapes how I interact and think about who God is. So you're all the product of a marriage. I think it's important to talk about what does the Bible say about marriage. And the final thing I would say is this. If you're single, the chances of you interacting with someone who is married is pretty high. You may work with someone who's married. You may go to school with someone who's married. You may have family members who are married. And the chances, the statistics are pretty high that those people that you know that are married are going to have rough spots in their marriage. And you're going to be asked at times, what do you think about that? How do I interact with that? How do I push in with that? So again, this I think will give you some, some opportunity to care for other people who are hurting. Now the whole series, here's the question I want to throw out. I'm not going to answer it. Hopefully by the time the series is over, you've wrestled with this question. I want to ask this question of all of us to wrestle with for six weeks. Is marriage more about my personal happiness and satisfaction or my holiness? What is the purpose of marriage? My personal satisfaction and enjoyment in life or my growth and maturity as a person? Holiness is the word word Bible might use for that. What is marriage really about? What is the purpose of marriage? We're going to talk about that throughout this series. And what I want to do is I want to pray for us. And then we're going to start this whole series out and start this morning out with something fun. Um, I am, I am, I'd say a rookie at marriage. I'm at this thing 14 years now. And I still think I've had some dark years, some deep valleys uh, and some pain, but I still consider myself a rookie at marriage. And uh, so a number of you have a lot to teach me. So what I'm actually going to do is uh, have a cool interview and a uh, time for uh, Tom and Sandy Martin. You're going to meet them in a minute to just share. And I think it's going to set the stage for this morning and kind of our whole series. So let me pray for us. And we're going to ask them to come to the stage and kick this morning off. God, thank you so much for Jesus. Um, thank you for the marriage that you portray in scripture that you want with us. Thank you for chasing us, pursuing us. Thank you that you promised to be close with us. Uh, So God, help us to draw into that relationship if we're not there. And if we are in that relationship, help us to leave here this morning knowing, hey, I'm growing in that relationship. God, I pray for the marriages. I pray that you would give us hope. That we'd walk out of here not hopeless. Some of us are sitting in seats this morning of our marriage, and we maybe someone's sitting here and saying, my marriage is done. It's over. Others are sitting here and they just, they're, they're just pulling their hair out. And it's not the, the romantic um, story that they had dreamed of was, as they were teenagers and, and getting ready to get married. Others are here this morning, God, and I, I think they're humming along pretty well. But God, interrupt them even and give them a nugget of, of something that can draw them even closer and closer to you and to one another. But God, guide and direct us over these coming weeks. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, that's it. I already introduced them, Tom and Sandy. I'm going to ask them to um, come on up here, and they're going to share uh, their journey with us in the form of an interview here. And I'm going to do something here. Uh, we did not do this first service, and we have this beautiful table set, and I'll explain this a little later why we have this here. I'm going to kind of intrude on their romantic dinner, so to speak. 
But first service, we had someone say, can you remove the candles? Because we couldn't see Sandy. And since Sandy's the best looking of the three of us up here, we thought we will, I will move. I got good. <laughs> we're going to move the candles. So we're going to set the candles right here. They aren't real, so they shouldn't catch anything on fire. Um, I hope not anyway. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> with that said, um, guys, thanks so much for being here. I know you, you did this first service, but as we, as we jump into this here, um, again, fresh and go at it again. But could you guys just start by just sharing? And as you look out here, you probably see some familiar faces, some people you yeah. give a shout out to and say hi to. Hey. Like, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but there's also people who don't know you. So could you just kind of start out with kind of sharing who you are and uh, kind of how you, how you came to know one another? Uh, Tom and Sandy Martin is our names. We live in Bowmansville. We have uh, three daughters, um, and they're all married, and uh, three grandchildren, almost almost four. Um, Yeah, I'm an electrician. She's in real estate, and yeah, I'm not sure what else. Well, I grew up, we've been married for 36 years, and um, I grew up, I'm a Lancaster County girl. Tom's a southern boy, so yeah. Y'all. Yeah, (laughs) y'all. Well, could you talk about, share with us how you met? Okay. Kind of that's, the, the memories of, of, of that experience. Yeah, that was fun to revisit. It was the summer of uh, 1974 between our junior and senior years of high school. And um, I was on the front porch of my girlfriend's house. There were seven of us. And it was quite a historic moment because none of us were dating anyone. And um, <laughs> so we were trying to figure out a way for all of us to get in one car to head up through Lancaster City to a place called Our Barn in New Danville. None of us had cars that were big enough, but in um, my girlfriend's driveway was her dad's big Bonneville, and I said, what about that? And um, just at that time, her dad comes walking out on the porch, and we all kind of, as 17-year-old girls, you know, gather around him and say, hey, you know, and he had a weak moment, and we jumped in the car, and (laughs) off we went. And um, on the second floor of our barn, it was a great place for kids to gather. Um, They were playing volleyball, and my best friend and I went up on the second floor, and um, I could clearly see who, what team was going to win. There was uh, a tall blonde guy doing a killer serve uh, that was to be respected. And, um, but what really caught my eye about this guy was he had really long blonde hair, and it was like layered. And um, I thought, wow, this is so not Lancaster County. And, Did you ever um, see the Bee Gees? <laughs> It's awesome. So um, anyway. <laughs> I'm jealous, Tom. I could never grow long wavy hair. It, it, it was definitely. I've tried. It, it, it didn't work. It was sweet. Yeah, it was very sweet. And um, so anyway, the serve went to the other side, and he looked over and saw me and my girlfriend and said, y'all want to play? And I thought, yeah, this is not Lancaster County. So he put me next to him and um, my girlfriend in the row in front. And the other team served the ball, and he was talking to me, and the ball hit him right in the chest because he wasn't paying attention. And um, he, he was, was he was paying attention. Yeah, just he was not... <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, his youth group friends were there, and they really razzed him about that. And um, I loved that he could laugh about you know that he could laugh at himself. I thought, wow, that's pretty cool. Um, And then um, the other thing was that I loved about him is he actually let me play my position. 
I said, ball, I set it up, it got spiked, and he said, yeah, way to go. And I'm like, yeah, he's not a ball hog. Now he really has my attention. So um, we agreed that the next week we would go to, uh, he wanted to pick me up for a roller skating party. I tried to explain where Bowmansville was. That didn't work that well. So we decided (laughs) we would meet at um, Overlook Rink, and he would drive me home after. Awesome. (laughs) Now, Tom, could you carry forward then to, you obviously date for a while, get to know each other. Proposal. Could you just share the fun of Yeah, we, we uh, had to have kind of an interesting uh, engagement proposal story. And, and uh, I mean, we, we pretty much knew how each other felt. So I had taken a picture of her and uh, for a, a purpose. And uh, uh, we had picked out, a, or I had picked out a ring. And uh, so I had this picture in my mind of what this is supposed to look like. And I was kind of young and dumb and really didn't know. But I, I had submitted the engagement to the newspaper before I even asked her. And uh, so I told the newspaper when, when to print it, but you know, they don't really care about what I asked. And so I had this, I had this time set up for plan for Revere Tavern and Paradise and buy a fireplace and, you know, a kind of the candlelit thing. And, uh, so, uh, and then the picture was supposed to come out in that Sunday's paper. Well, it came out Thursday before. <laughs> and, uh. So I had to quick call her dad and say, hey, don't let her see the newspaper. And I had to call her and say, hey, can I come down right away? (laughs) And, uh, yeah, so it ended up that uh, I asked her on the back porch, and we were kind of both surprised. (laughs) Did you at least have a campfire? No, no no campfire. (laughs) Awesome. Now, so you guys clearly were in love, and that romantic balcony thing that I kind of opened up with, it was there. It was a part. I think it's, that's a healthy thing. Now, you guys got married, and not long into your marriage, you ran into some trouble. Uh, would you guys just mind sharing with us just how that unfolded, what the trouble was, and kind of how it unfolded? Um, shortly after we were married, I really began to feel a distance uh, between Tom and I. Um, there were times that I pursued it and didn't really, it didn't really go anywhere. Um, it felt at times to me like there was a stranger in our house that I couldn't identify. Um, and there was a, a growing distance. And um, we got married in April. The following September, I took a new job, and it was a small office. There was about seven of us. Um, I was 19 years old. Um, everyone else in my office was in their 30s. And at first, I felt kind of like a freshman um, you know, that you have to prove yourself. And then things started to go really well. And, um, I had a boss who, um, was also in his thirties. He had three children. He was married. Uh, I felt very safe with him. I felt like he really supported me. And at some point in time, there was an emotional involvement that developed and eventually went into a six month affair. And, um, as soon as this started to happen, I left my home Uh, I could not stand the guilt and being under the same roof, and I got my own apartment, and um, I lived in um, Lancaster. And the the reason for the disconnect, she's exactly right, there was a disconnect. And the reason for that is because I had sin in my life. I was involved in the sin of pornography, and it it started way back uh, when I was a teenager, and uh, never, uh, I never dealt with it. And so, yes, there was, uh, there was effects of that uh, that affected our marriage, and there was a definite disconnect. Hmm. Now, as is, is that happens and unfolds, uh, can you talk a little about your response? Like, did you, did you want it to work? 
and, and what was kind of kicking around inside of you at that time? For me, I really did not want it to work because I didn't really feel that I could ever go home. Um, I felt like, you know, this God thing really is not working for me. I had um, gone to church all of my life. I went Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday nights. I knew a lot about God. Um, I knew how a Christian was supposed to live, um, but I had never, ever crossed over to that personal relationship. And um, so I, I really I really didn't want it to work, and um, I didn't really know how it could work. Um, I was scared, basically. Uh, I was scared about our marriage. I was, I was also very scared that people would find out what I was really like. Um, and, and, and so, uh, yeah, I reached out to the church, this church right here, Bethany, and, and, and there was a amazing support from the church. It was amazing support from Sandy's family, actually. And uh, uh, so, you know, God used this situation uh, to uh, bring about salvation in Sandy's life. Uh, and and, and it, was, it was many years later that I responded to the Holy Spirit like he wanted me to, and, and God did grant me freedom from this sin. Uh, and, 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 you know, I would just encourage those of you who are dealing with this type of sin or any type of sexual sin, any type of other, other sin is to, you know, deal with this. Reach out to others. Don't try and do it by yourself. Uh, yeah. You've got to reach out. You've got to get help. Um, I really respect you guys a lot, uh, as I've just gotten to know you over, over my interaction here. And, um, Tom, your leadership in different aspects of the church, Sandy, your leadership, your interaction with the church, your care for people. And what I can see is you guys have a strong marriage today. Um, not perfect. Um, I don't think any of us have a perfect marriage, but strong. I see a friendship and a commitment to one another. So obviously a lot has transpired. I wish we could take all morning to just talk about all that's transpired, but... What would you say, um, looking back at this whole story, this whole journey, what God has done in your hearts and lives, what would be the maybe one principle that you would say, this is what we've learned about marriage, uh, this is what we've learned, and what you'd share with someone young like me, young in marriage? One of the things that I failed to mention in the first service that I really feel is important is, and that I had to learn as we had gotten back together and Tom was still dealing with Um, pornography is that I had to get to the place in my heart where Tom's relationship with Jesus was far more important than what I wanted to happen for me. Hmm. And I think, you know, that's the one thing that your spouse's relationship with God has to be your main desire. Um, And the other thing is time. you, You really need to really need to dig in and, and spend time. Um, I think that's really important. And, um, I think through all of this, we really learned the importance of true forgiveness and forgiving quickly and getting things out quickly. For the young unmarried, uh, involved in that particular sin, you know, it's easy to feel like, well, this is a pre-marriage sin. That's a lie. Your sin, whatever sin it is, before marriage, will be there after marriage. And so I encourage you, if you're dealing with any type of sin, really, but particularly this type of sin, to deal with it before you get married, if, at all, if you're not married. And if you are married, now's the time. Hmm. Do not wait. Uh, 
what, what amazed me through this whole thing is God's pursuit of me. God did not let go. I've heard the term hound of heaven. Well, he was a hound in my life. And God showed me his grace in a way that I would have never known. And it's amazing. It is amazing to experience God's grace. And I would just tell you that our, our relationship is better than it ever was, even when we first got married. And it is worth it. Awesome. Guys, thank you so, so much. Can you guys give them a round of applause? Just thank them for being up here. They uh, had agreed to do this, and um, this is the first time they've shared publicly about their journey. Some of you have been in men's classes where you've heard Tom's story. Some of you have been in women's small groups and classes where you've heard pieces of Sandy's. This is the first time they've publicly stood in front of a large group and just were vulnerable and shared their story. It takes a lot of courage, but um, I love seeing what God does in people's lives and watching people respond to that. So, guys, thanks again so much for being a part of that. As we move into this morning and we think about marriage, there are two words that I would like to, I think, overarch this entire series. We're going to spend time talking about those two words this morning. And um, the clicker is not clicking. So if you guys advance it one slide there for me. There you go. First slide. A life-giving marriage is built on, and here's, here's the two words, on a committed friendship. Those are the two words, committed and friendship. Commitment, friend, uh, are the words that we want to drive at for this entire series. A lot of times when we think about marriage, we don't ever talk about that second word. We talk a lot about, you know, relationship, but that second word is important. And a lot of us talk about that first word. But the thing I find interesting with that first word, a lot of us, when we think about that first word, we think about doing what I would call sticking it out. A lot of us, that's how we define commitment. I've made it 15 years. I've made it 20 years. I've made it one year. I've made it 50, whatever it is. We think of just gutting it out, sticking it out, pushing through the hard times. And the commitment carries with it, I think, something far deeper than just sticking it out. Commitment is an investment. It's investing and working to make the relationship grow. You are not committed. I don't, if you've been married 50 years... I would not define you as having a committed relationship in marriage if you are not intentionally invested in making the relationship grow together. I'm amazed that I've talked to people that have been married, and I had a conversation with someone recently, married for a long time. I think, I don't know how that, but it's over 50 plus years. And they made a comment to me that, that they don't even kiss anymore. And I just thought about that, and I thought, that's sad. I don't care that you've been committed for 50 years if you're not saying, I'm invested in making this relationship grow. That's commitment. That's what we're going to talk about. Now, as we think about that, I want to talk about there are generally three types of marriages. And you're going to find yourself landing at different seasons of life, maybe even, or maybe you're going to identify with some of these today. Uh, The first marriage is what I would call a back-to-back relationship. That's marriage number one. Back-to-back relationship would mean, um, it could mean a lot of things. It doesn't mean you're fighting, but it could just mean you guys are moving in completely different directions. 
Maybe you're moving in different directions with career. Maybe you're moving in different directions on how to raise kids. Maybe you're moving in different directions emotionally. But you guys are moving one. I mean, you guys are going completely two different directions, living in the same home, maybe even getting in the same bed, but heading in different directions. The second type of marriage, category of marriage, is what I would call, and this one is the one I find a lot of us, thus if you call yourself a Christian, I find a lot to land in this category. And it's what I would call shoulder to shoulder. What shoulder to shoulder is, is saying, hey, we're in life together. God has called us to be married and we're on a mission. Even it's all good stuff. We're on a mission. We're going to serve together. We're going to walk together. We're going to get our kids birth. We're going to get them through elementary school together. We're going to get them out of the home together. We're going to get them into college together. We're going to move towards retirement together. We are going at life shoulder to shoulder, working hard together. We're a team. See, well, that's cool. But it's only cool if you have the third type of marriage, which is what I would call face-to-face. And what face-to-face marriage is, is what you're going to, Tom and Sandy kind of kicked around a little bit, and we're going to talk about something. Face-to-face is saying, we are best friends. They know me. I know them. I can finish their sentences because I know what's in their heart. I know what they're thinking. I know what they're afraid of. I know where their journey is at with God. I know what their greatest struggle is. I know how to pray for them. I can cry with them. I can rejoice with them. We are talking about things. See, shoulder to shoulder, you're going to talk about the weather and all the facts of life, and you're going to have your calendars all in order, and you're moving along well together. But face-to-face is saying, we know your heart. I know your heart. I know what's going on inside of you. That's face-to-face, and that's the heart we want to talk about. Turn with me, book of Genesis. You say, Adam, weren't we in Genesis for 12 long weeks? Yes, we were. And we're going to start there again this morning to springboard uh, into this series. Genesis, if you're not familiar with the Bible, we've spent all summer there. Those of you who have been a part of Bethany and journeying with us, uh, we're going to come back there to just a quick review. Uh, But if you're not familiar with your Bible, Genesis is right at the beginning. It's an easy one to find. If you don't have a Bible, please see me afterwards or grab someone out there at that welcome center and they will give you, we will get you a Bible. Genesis chapter 2. Quick review of where we've been to get us to where we're going. Adam was a created being. God created Adam, first man, and he creates Eve. But before Eve is created, he simply makes Adam, and he gives him the task of working in the garden. Work was a part of his task. One of his jobs was to name the animals. Now, all these animals start coming before Adam, and he's naming them. I'm going to name you zebra. You're going to be a rhinoceros. You're going to be a giraffe. I mean, he's, he's having fun with this thing. I can picture he's having a good time, getting a long day. It's when the, the dog shows up, dog, cat. You know, the three-letter animals start. That's like probably at the end of his day. He's worn out. He's tired. But at the end of his day, as he's worn out and he's tired, he looks at it, and I think he begins to notice something. He notices that all these animals are coming in front of him to be named. They're coming as a pair. As pa- they have a partner. Now, Adam's looking around and he's like, well, where's my partner? There's no one here that looks anything like me. Now, verse 18 of chapter two, God addresses this. And the Lord God said, it is not good. Now, if you, if you remember when we talked about this in a series, that jumps off the pages because it's the very, all you see in chapter one is it was good. He created, it was good. He created, it was all this. I mean, God's just like, this was, this is amazing. It's amazing creation. And all of a sudden God says, it is not good that man should be alone. Now he says, I will make a helper suitable for him. We talked about this word helper and we talked about suitable for him. Suitable for him is like like opposite. So we're going to make someone that's a lot like him, but yet different. And then we're going to make a helper. We talked about the word helper. If you remember, if you, you can head back and grab it online uh, this past summer. But the word helper is the word easer. 
And the word Ezer is the same word God uses for himself. So this isn't like just someone to cook and clean and do the dishes and take care of the kids and do the things that, that he could do, but she can do better. It's like, no, we are going to create someone who is your helper. You need this person. And God uses the same word of himself and says, I am your easer. She is now an easer. So it's a helper. So he creates this relationship. Now, Adam is introduced to Eve through the next couple verses. And then down at verse 24, the whole chapter wraps up with one of the most powerful verses in our Old Testament. And it's carried into the new parts of our Bible called the New Testament. Verse 24 says this. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother. And be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. The first reference of marriage in our Bible. And when you have that first reference there, it's interesting. When the Bible starts talking about marriage, it starts with the principle of friendship. You are connected. You are one flesh. Face-to-face, not shoulder-to-shoulder, face-to-face, joined together as one flesh. Now, this theme of friendship continues throughout the Bible. One of the places where it shows up is in Proverbs chapter 2, verses 16 to 17. And it says here this. Now, this is a chapter a dad named Solomon is talking to his, his, his kind of passing wisdom on your son. Listen, follow the way of wisdom. Wisdom will give you life. And one of the things he's going to talk about is what wisdom keeps you away from an adulterer. So it says this, wisdom will save you also from the adulterous woman, from the wayward woman with her seductive words, who has left the partner of her youth. We're going to come back to that phrase in a minute and ignored the covenant she made before God. I cannot state this enough. Marriage is not just something where you promise to one another humanly. Marriage is a covenant relationship with you and God. So if I break faith with my wife, Tanya, I ultimately break faith with God. This is not a relationship just slapped together by two people and a pastor staying in front of a church. This is a relationship that God puts together. The word covenant is a powerful word. It carries with it far more than the word commitment even does. This is something that is together. Now, Back up then, if you notice the way that it's described, has left the partner of her youth. The Hebrew word, that partner of her youth, is one Hebrew word. It's spelled A-L-L-U-P as you translate the, English, the Hebrew to English. And, and what the word literally means, it could be translated in our English Bibles as best friend. So you read that again. So the wayward woman with her seductive words who has left her best friend and ignored the covenant she made before God. Friendship is a key part, I think, of the, the God's design for marriage. The goal is to have an open, honest, vulnerable place to come when you get home. Trusting friendship. Now, those of you who have been married for any number of years, any number of hours, actually, <laughs> will begin to realize that this thing called friendship in marriage is not easy. And there is a natural shift towards isolation. We get busy. We get things going on. We get scared. You heard Tom talk about being scared. We have things happening in our hearts. And for me to open up with them, I'm not sure. And, and we begin to hide things, hold things in, not intentionally. We're not trying to be mean. We're not trying to, to we just, when we begin to, marriage naturally drifts towards isolation. Unless we intentionally say, we're going to drive at being friends. So what I'd like to talk about, just the remainder of our time, is what keeps this friendship from happening? What keeps it from happening? Because I think we all want it, right? You want to be a friend with your spouse. 
We want it. None of us walks up to, in front of a church like this to get married and says, you know what? I'm really hoping for a good two years out of this thing. I've never met, I've never met, and all the weddings, I haven't been married a lot of people, but the few that I have, I've never had anyone say, two years is all we're looking for. They all have this dream of growing old together, so how do we do it? What keeps us from doing it? Now, I think there's a lot of good answers to that, and I encourage you to kick them around this week, and, but here's, I just want to talk about a few that kind of came to my mind. And I think the first one may surprise you. I think the first one is, we have this drive Young people especially, we have this drive to have a compatible soulmate. And if you have a drive to have a compatible soulmate, I think you're actually going to struggle to have a close friend. Here's why. Tim Keller, a pastor in New York City. Well, let me read this first. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Okay, now this, this is a powerful verse. This captures this picture of friendship. It captures this thought of, of you know, you got a lot of, you know, I've got, I don't know, 600 or some odd Facebook friends. Some of you are my Facebook friends. And I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hurt some of you. I'm really sorry. But some of you are my Facebook friends, but you're not really my friend. Now, I, you say, are you talking about me? Is he talking about me? I'm not talking about you, of course. I'm talking about the guy sitting over here. But the reality is, if you want to live a healthy life, what you begin to do is realize that social scientists even begin to realize you can only have a deep, deep, close friendship, deep sharing with three, at most five people. So if you're spreading yourself thin, you're actually going to have a tough go at life. And it says there's a friend that sticks closer to brother, and one of them is your spouse. I believe one of them needs to be your spouse. Now, back to the compatibility thing. Tim Keller, pastor in New York City, he says it this way. And my clickers, there we go. It says, no two people are compatible. We never know who we marry. We just think we do. Isn't that crazy to think about? When two people walk down this aisle and stand here and say, we're going to say, I do. They think they know one another, but they really don't. It's impossible, I think, in many ways. We try as pastors to work really hard to get them to one another, but there's things that we haven't yet explored and gotten into. So we just think we do. Or even if at first you marry the right person, just give it a while and he or she will change. The primary problem is learning to love and care for the stranger to whom you find yourself married. The quest for a perfect, compatible soulmate is an impossibility. One of the things that I think kills friendship in marriage is the fact that we forget that people change. Relationships change, churches change, jobs change. I mean, if you can't embrace change, you're going to struggle in life in general. But we change. Now, the core fabric being of who you are probably isn't going to alter too much, your personality, if you want to call it that. But you're going to change. You may have a miscarriage. And suddenly the pain of that miscarriage drives something out of you that you didn't even know was there. You're going to change. You may lose a job. You may just come across a lot of money. You may all of a sudden have this uptick in your career and all this, all of a sudden, man, I've never had, and that can lead change. Or you just may be going through daily life and you begin to, if you're a healthy person, you're maturing. And as you mature, guess what happens? You change. And if you're maturing and the person next to you isn't maturing at the same rate you are, soon you find yourselves at two different places. But we have this deep craving of having a soulmate, a compatibility, a person. And, and I love how Tim Keller just says, you know, it's really not, not reality. A, a professor at Duke University actually says it this way. And I'll, I'll borrow this from him. I think it's funny. Um, 
My wife has lived with five different men since we have been married, and each one of them has been me. She's not had an affair. She's not been cheating on me. But I think about that, and I think, well, that is so true. I have, if you, you guys would laugh at some of them. We pull out, we have this whole stack of emails. Email was the new thing when we were dating. I mean, it was like brand new. And so we were thrilled with this thing called email. It saved us a lot of money on that phone bill. So we start emailing. Well, we saved them all. We got this huge folder of all of our emails printed off. You want to read these things. They are hilarious. I mean, they're like, I said that? I thought that? Are you kidding me? But it proves that I am a different person today with different thoughts, different beliefs even. Different understandings of who God is. Different understandings of money and life and kids and parenting. I'm different. So is she. She's lived with very different people. So I think one of the things that gets in the way of our friendship in marriage is we have this dream of compatibility that's really not reality. Another one I think it's important to learn is how we fight. Tension is healthy. You know, you don't have a favorite movie, I guarantee, that doesn't have some point of tension in it. I just watched The Great Gatsby on Friday night, on a date night with my wife, rented it, took, brought it home. A lot of tension in that movie. It has this big, thick subplot and all this tension. If there isn't tension in a movie, you don't want to watch it. But for some reason, when it comes to real life, we've got to get rid of the tension. We've got to learn to fight well. It's okay to fight The problem is many of us aren't fighting for our marriage. We're fighting in our marriage. We aren't fighting as friends. We're fighting to prove. I mean, it just gets crazy. And I think it's important to learn to fight as a friend, not an enemy. And when you fight as a friend, an enemy, what ends up happening as an enemy is we become so frustrated with the sin, the stuff that's changed. We zero in on it. It's got to go. And we begin to deal with maybe the right things, but the wrong way and maybe at the wrong time. I think it's another one. We're going to have a whole week just on conflict and communication and how to, so we're, that one's going to come. But, but again, I think it's one thing that stands in our way. I think another thing that stands in our way is we don't understand, like Tom and Sandy talk about, we don't understand that the good times do not come despite the bad times. They come after the bad times. I'm amazed at how many people just do not push through tough stuff. Studies reveal that people who are married, consistently married, show a much higher degree of satisfaction with their personal lives than those who are single, divorced, or living together. Now, I'm going to add this about living together as well. This is an interesting statistic. People who live together before marriage actually have a higher divorce rate than those who do not live together before marriage. It's crazy. Like I think it's because the commitment piece. But again, people who have been married consistently are happy. The studies also reveal, the studies also reveal that if you go out and ask people, married people, are you happy with your marriage? The majority of people who are married say, yes, I am. But guys, think about when you told your friends you were getting married. What did you get? Oh, great. You're going to put the ball in the chain on and all this negative thought. For some reason, our culture has this picture that people are not happy that are married. Studies show that actually people who are married are much happier in life. Here's the other thing. Those same studies reveal this, that if you simply push through for five years of pain, your marriage, two-thirds of all marriages who push through pain 
Five years, two-thirds of those marriages report what Tom and Sandy do. It is better now than we ever dreamed possible. Two-thirds. But see, the problem is many of us begin to think, well, I can't get through this. And divorce looks so easy. But here's the, I want to share a secret about divorce. I've never heard a pastor stand up and say this. I'm going to say it bold. I know some of you are in this room are divorced, and this is not condemnation on you. I know there's, there's biblical reasons for divorce even. But divorce does not end the pain. People will walk towards divorce thinking, I'm going to get rid of this. I've got to have another idea. Sure, maybe you need to end the abuse. Maybe you need to end the affair. Maybe you need to end all the other stuff that divorce could end. But it does not end the pain. Divorce doesn't make life suddenly happy again. You carry that pain with you. But many of us don't just say, okay, I'm going to gut this thing out. I'm going to push through it because I'm committed to us. And I'm committed to us growing. And that's going to take some tough years to get there. It's one thing that stands in the way of friendship. I think the final thing I'll share is this. I think the other thing a lot of us look for in friendships are the great moments. Okay, I had a great moment last night celebrating Penn State's win with my kids. I mean, they, they are like, they're going to remember that moment till the day daddy dies. I mean, it's like, it is, that, that is etched in their mind. They never saw daddy get so wild. I mean, they were a little scared. They were like, what on earth is he doing? My wife had to buffer it and say, it's okay. Dad gets this way at some of these games. So again, I, I, so again they're going to remember that. So a lot of us look for our friendships to be built around those grand moments. The great vacation, the great dinner, the great movie, the perfect date, the Mexico trip, the Outer Banks trip. Let's head out west. We look for these grand moments. But friendships and relationships, trust is built in the ordinary, not the grand. You say, Adam, nah, I don't buy that. I, let, me, let me test it. Just hang with me a minute. Those of you who have lost into death, someone close to you, really close. Or think about someone maybe in your life that you know someone who's lost someone close. What do they say at the funeral? What do they say at the week's final? They say things like, I miss her smile. You know, I just miss seeing him sit in the corner, his his ornery self with his paper and his slippers on the floor. You know, I miss those crazy text messages she always sent. She never could figure that phone out. You know, I miss, I miss hearing the we in the room next door. I just miss hearing it. Isn't that what we say? We never hear things like, oh, man, I miss that great vacation we had. But for some reason, in our thinking, we put all of our time and all of our eggs and all of our money and all of our energies into those grand moments, and we forget the ordinary. And it's in the ordinary where you build trust. And it's the ordinary where you build friendship. You know, one of the things, I'll, this is, happens with parents too. One of the things I'm really practicing with the ordinary is I've been challenged recently is when I walk into a room, the first time I see my wife or my kids, is the first thing I need to do is smile. Because I, I carry a heavy personality at times and I'm, I'm driven. Some of you say, yeah, I know, Adam, you're, you're, and I, I'll walk in real heavy and just hit it sometimes and ready to go. And I've been challenged just to walk into a room and let them know you're happy to see them. The first time you see someone you love, let them know you're happy to see him. So, for example, my son may come bounding down the steps. I'm already down in the kitchen in the morning. He's getting ready for school upstairs, and he comes down. He comes around the corner, and my one son is a classic for this. I'm like, what is he wearing? Like, I'm no fashion genius, but that is that's what in the world? So a lot of times he'll come down the steps. What I've learned to do is look at him and say, Zach, good morning. It's great to see you. 
Now go get changed. But oftentimes what I do is I focus, again, just the, the ordinary everyday moments make them great. Smile and say, Zach, it's good to see you. Tanya, happy to be home. Now let's talk about our evening or talk about the pain I had today or the difficulty you had. But it's just happy to be here. So the ordinary moments, are, I think, is where friendship is built. Now, I want to end this with, with one strong challenge as we get ready for this whole series. The book of Hosea, the book of Hosea is a crazy book. Hosea was an Old Testament prophet. You say, what's a prophet? Maybe if you're not familiar with the Bible, here's what a prophet is. A prophet is someone who simply heard God's words and then spoke them. Okay, we didn't have all of this like we have today. So God would speak to them and say, now go speak to my chosen people. Now, Hosea was interesting. Hosea had this challenge. Hosea said, God said, Hosea, I'm not just going to ask you to go speak it. I want you to show the nation of Israel a picture, an illustration. So I want you to live in a certain way so they can begin to see and understand my love for the nation, for my chosen people, God would say. So what he asked Hosea to do is to go and marry a prostitute. Her name was Gomer. Now, moms and dads in the room, (laughs) could you imagine encouraging your child to marry a streetwalker. That's what God asked him to do. So God, he goes and he marries this prostitute, Gomer. They have kids together. He becomes a single dad because she's out with her trade. She's still out working the streets and having a good old time. So God comes to Hosea in, in Hosea chapter 3, and here's what it says Then the Lord said to me, Go. And love your wife again, even though she commits adultery with another lover. This will illustrate that the Lord still loves Israel, even though the people have turned to other gods and love to worship them. So I brought her, I brought her back for 15 pieces of silver and five bushels of barley and a measure of wine. What that is in that culture, those, that what he paid is the price of a common slave. Translated. Hosea went and bought his wife from the pimp down the street. Think about that. Now, I want to just pause something here a minute. This is not a model for marriage. I've heard some pastors stand on stage and preach this like, this is what marriage should be. And this is what marriage should look. That's not, you got to understand why the Bible was given to us. And you got to understand why things are in the Bible. And Hosea was not put in the Bible to teach us how to do marriage. Hosea was put in the Bible to teach us who God is and the love that he has for his chosen people. Now, because there are passages in the Bible where it says if your spouse commits adultery, I personally believe, then divorces could be an acceptable step for you to take. So this is in the Bible not to show us a picture of marriage, but in the Bible to show us a picture of the relationship that God wants with his chosen people and his unfailing pursuit of his people. Tom talked about pursuit. God will pursue you. Now, I think that we can pick from it and learn some things about marriage, but it's not the express purpose. And one of the things I think we can learn is we can model God's love of us. But then I love that statement. Go and love your wife again, even though. Some of you, I know the objection. Adam, I hear you talk. You don't know her or him or what they do or what he's done. Go and love her again. Be a friend. 
Be a lover. Be committed, even though. You know, financially, I just want to give you one practical way to do this. I think what a lot of us do is we love the marriage that you wish you had. And we don't love the marriage that we have. We do this in life in general. Look at the grass. Oh, that was greener over there. We love that marriage. We don't love our marriage. And I think one of the best ways that Hosea paints for us, if you want to love your wife again, is to love God again. Rejoice in the God who has called you. To spend time worshiping and loving and drawing into who he is and what he has done for you and the relationship he has with you and wants with you. And spend time worshiping the God who has called you. And what all will always happen, I've seen it a million times, is you will soon, if you rejoice in the God who has called you, you will soon find yourself rejoicing in the calling that he's given you. A lot of us don't like to do that. We want to we want to dream of the marriage on the other side of the fence that we wish we had. Push through, rejoice in the God you have, and you'll soon find yourself rejoicing in the calling that he's given you. So as we close, a life-giving marriage is built on a committed friendship. We're going to work at this thing. We're going to grow together. I love what Sandy said. I'm focused on my spouse's relationship with Jesus. I think if you fight as a friend, fight for the marriage, fight for your friend, and in the end, you'll find that you're still friends. Let me pray, and then there's going to be a song we're going to play. Just give you some time to reflect and think about your marriage and where you're, where you're at in your relationship with your spouse. God, thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you for the relationship that you desire to have with us. God, thank you for marriage and the joy and the life that it can bring us. God, I pray, I just earnestly pray for those in the room that are married, that we would be committed people and we'd be committed to growing this marriage healthy and friends. God, I pray for those that are single. I pray for those that are looking for a marriage partner. I pray for those that are wanting to do with marriage, but God, I give them the courage to look at their marriage, the family that they've come from and ask the hard questions of that and how it's impacted them. But God, thank you ultimately for the fact that marriage gives us a beautiful picture Marriage done well gives us a beautiful picture of the relationship you want with us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.